Hello. Hello. Hello, Dr. Donald. Dr. Benjamin. How are you? I'm very good. And you? I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm trying to do something here. I'm trying to adjust my, I'm adjusting my levels. Okay. Uh, so you want to, you know, you know what I did? You know what I got? I got, um, you don't, you don't know. A new phone? No. A not new, new phone? phone. Uh, you hear that? That's a new my, microphone? It's my lunch. No. Old, old. A new, a new lunch. I got a new lunch. No, old microphone. Okay. Old, old, old lunch. Um, oh, <laughs> Hopefully just, not too old. Well, just, I mean, elderly. I mean, I wouldn't. I, um, and uh, and what I have, you remember? Remember last week when uh, when I was typing and you heard like that yes. stuff every time. Yes, I, I remember that very well. You're not going to hear that anymore. Do you hear that? You shouldn't hear anything. No, I'm not. Typing. I don't hear anything. You know what? I, you know what I did? So so What'd here's. So I figured out what what happened. Mm. Um, I have new carpet in my office. Do you remember, remember an episode? Oh, oh the, whole, the whole, the whole, yes. The carpet episode where you had to like basically not be in your office and it was a whole big complicated thing. Yes. Yeah. So, um, for a while I had another rug underneath my desk that I podcast from in my office at mm-hmm. my office mm-hmm. uh, not, not my office in my home. Yep. A- and, uh, my, because that, rug like uh like an area rug was on top of a thicker carpet base i couldn't open my door correctly my my little rolly wheel chair would wouldn't roll over it so i removed it i removed it like maybe five minutes before we recorded the last podcast and i couldn't figure out what was different right and it was that it was buffering my yeah like like so so my my table was bouncing uh, yeah, and and so you know what my solution was? You put the rug back? No, that's what I thought you'd guess. My solution, <laughs> my solution was, I just brought another table in beside my desk because I have all this little like conversation table. So my table has got my microphone. My desk still has my computer. They're not connected to each other. I'm gonna pound away, like knock really hard, but it's not gonna sound like this. Yes, exactly. Solved. Problem Excellent. solver, Don. I'm a problem Excellent. solver. Excellent. That's you. You are a problem solver, Ben. I'm. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm pretty much. Uh, that's it. That's all I have. I'm a problem solver. Good. Well, I'm, thanks. This was this was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, when should we talk? When sh- when should we talk again? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think we're done. We're You've done. solved all the problems for this week. <laughs> solved all the. Um, if uh, listeners, if you could mail in your problems uh, <laughs> to us, we I'd be happy to solve problems um, with Don's help. Of course, kind of like. Um, well, it, it, let's let's be fair. I identified the problem. You solve the problem. Uh, and you, you'll love this analogy. Uh, oh. A little uh, Sherlock, uh, Doctor Watson uh, style, where Ex- where I'm Sherlock and you're sure. you're uh, the guy from the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm the guy from the uh, from that movie with the codes and with the weird eyes. Um, you know, we 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 watch we watch that show, but we also watch another uh, um, uh, Holmes and Watson um, um, spinoff uh, called Elementary. Do you ever watch Elementary? No, no, I haven't seen that. Oh, it's it's good. So in in that one, uh, I would be the the Asian woman, and you would be the tattooed Brit- British man. That's me. That's, that's <laughs> that is true. Uh, so good. I'm glad that uh, that we've got that that sorted out. Problem solver, uh, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I'm going to get tattoos. I might just get a problem solver tattoo across my chest. 
Oh, that would be excellent. Well, it would be fitting with uh, the character roles that we're playing. Actually, um, I think I think a face tattoo would be better. Oh, or a like a neck tattoo that says <laughs> "badass." There you go. Um, yeah, this is good. So anyway, I got my new setup. There's no bouncing. Um, I got I, I got some lunch that I've been uh, pecking away at. Um, I've got uh, two beverages. I have a fountain diet coke, and I also have some uh, some coffee that I made in my AeroPress. I'm gonna be wired up. Well, I'm I'm, fi- well, I'm I'm fired up, and I'm wired up. That's good because I uh, I have uh, consumed most of a diet coke, and I got a refill. Uh, from my bathroom, uh, which does not have Diet Coke. It only has water <laughs> because I wanted to have a liquid beverage uh, for while we podcast. And just while we're filling people in, um, I uh, I had uh, I ordered a, a chicken teriyaki from Sarku, and I have eaten all of the chicken and all of the vegetables and some of the rice. And all of the teriyaki? Uh, well, I think there's a teriyaki sauce that comes with it, and I think I didn't eat any of it. But I'll save that later and put it on the rice maybe. Sarku. That sounds like uh, – sounds good. It's a – it's a chain. It's a chain. It's not bad. It's it's acceptable. It's uh, oh, but you know what? Before we completely leave the uh, topic of tattoos, um, uh, I think a great uh, tattoo that you should get um, is a tattoo that says "No regrets." <laughs> no regrets. Exactly. <laughs> because no, 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 no regrets. Oh, no regrets. I'm sorry. Um, no regrets. Because because there apparently there are tattoos out there where people uh, got uh, uh, meant to get no regrets, but the ta- person doing the tattooing can't spell. So uh, no regrets. No regrets. So. I uh, perfect. I will get that uh, <laughs> on the bottom of my foot. <laughs> perfect. Which would be a good place for for a tattoo. Um, that it seems painful. I don't have any tattoos, Don. I, I don't. I don't either. Uh, my my younger son does have a tattoo. Um, it's a it's a reference to uh, uh, a movie by that guy that makes those cool movies. Um, Kevin Smith. No, no, no. Um, uh, he, he makes those uh, those Woody, cool movies. Woody Allen. Um, no, no. Uh, <laughs> the one, Steve, Steve Zissou. Who am I thinking of? Uh, uh, yeah, Wes Anderson. Wes Craven. Wes Anderson. How can I? How can I not remember that? Wes. He's one of the Weses. Well, that's that's good. Um, I uh, I was gonna get a, um, a a tattoo at one point in my life of a uh, double double stranded uh, double helix, some DNA on my arm. I never did. Oh. Yeah, I saw this thing. I liked it, and then and then I didn't do it, and then. Um, recently, like within the last three weeks, I, I told Danny, we were walking around somewhere and, and I said, I think I'm going to get a tattoo. And she said, no, you're not. And that was, and then we talked about something else. (laughs) That was the conversation. That was the end of it. I had, I had considered at various, not I, at one point when I was, when I was weightlifting a lot, I was considering getting like a, uh, you know, one of those tribal bands around my bicep. That was, that was the closest I came, uh, uh, to getting, uh, uh, to getting a tattoo so but uh, but just thinking about it and then did not this was this was pre uh pre uh uh wife so uh pre pre current wife um so did not uh have not discussed it with her i imagine she would uh not not put a stop to it but would not really think it was that smart a thing to do well well there you, there you go i i didn't know you weight lifted a lot oh well yeah i yeah i don't know if i can say that i weight lifted a lot but yeah I, when you were weightlifting. When you, mm. I, I am weightlifting now. Mm, good for you. I really like it. It's uh, um, I, I am I, I have I have this uh, friend and colleague who I don't know if I've mentioned on the the podcast. Um, his name's Andy Bender, and he's uh, in the 
the world of communications and uh, here at NC State, and he, uh, um, he, we we go and drink beer every once in a while and chat about stuff. And he he's a weightlifter, um, and uh, gave me this uh, put me on this app uh, called let me tell you what it's called that I've been uh, working on five by five strong lifts, and so oh, cool it, yeah it gives you like uh, um, three five uh, rep five whatever. Five reps, five uh, things. What do you do? Sets. Five sets. Sets, sets five. and reps. And sets reps. and reps. Yeah, I'm so good. I don't even know what they're called, but I know what to do. Uh, and then it, it tells you what to do next time. And so you don't really have to even think about it. So I've, uh, I, was, I was squatting. Uh, on, on Saturday, I squatted uh, 80 pounds, five, five reps, five sets. And I'm, I'm all about the – Nice. Yeah, it's good. So I, I really like it, though. I never really got into it until, I mean, really recently, like within the last uh, six or eight months. Well, you know, um, I my weightlifting is uh, pre iPhone, um, and so I would love to have an app. And actually, speaking of weightlifting, I actually today started lifting weights again, but not not for weightlifting purposes, but because it's part of my uh, physical therapy rehabilitation for my uh, for my shoulder. So it was it was cool to actually do some because we I had been doing some some biceps and triceps, um, 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 with, uh, rubber bands, like, or, or with bands, as they say, not rubber bands, but bands. Yeah. Um, bands, but, yeah. yeah but, but now, but now I moved to using an actual machine cause I told my physical therapist that it just wasn't challenging enough. So he, uh, uh, consented to move me to the, uh, the machine. It's still like, you know, you know, 20, 30 pounds, not, not a lot, but it, but it, it felt good to do it. So, uh, and it, it's helping my shoulder get better. So that's awesome. I'm psyched. I, yeah. I, I got this guy, uh, this other guy, um, his name's Jeremy Swafford, who I play hockey with, who who does training. And uh, but once a month, I go to hang out with like he's like a personal trainer, um, does like um, agility and speed with all athletes, which I'm not. I'm not about agility or speed, and not really an athlete. <laughs> but uh, but he's a friend, and he's a cool dude. And so I go uh, hang out with him like once a month, and he's like, here, try these, lift these things, throw this against this wall, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, pick that up and walk. And I love it. It's like it's mm-hmm. it's like this other this, this is the other thing I do. Um, That's cool. And then he get me he got me into some bands as well. And not we're not talking like, you know, the Grateful Dead and Fish. Um, <laughs> he, he got me into these like circle bands where you wrap them around your knees and you wrap them around your legs and then you like walk and waddle and sidestep and it hurts and it and it seems to work so. Yeah, there. Are, I see a lot of people in my physical therapist uh, office. I'm in the in the, the basically the the gym, the gym where the therapist is located. Uh, we're doing that kind of thing. So yeah, a lot of that. It's, there you go. So uh, band uh, safety talk. Um, I uh, all right. So I got some other. I got some updates for you. I know, all right, I'm I, ready. I know. I know for sure. You had homework. I know you haven't completed it. Um, and you're gonna just say, I know I need to do this, but it's watch Mr. Robot. Um, Right. So anyway, uh, guess who's into Mr. Robot? I don't know. The lovely Danielle, my wife. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So so I'm only halfway through like season two and uh, we we got a um, we're we're doing some like shifting things around in our house um, in preparation to sell it at some point. So we we purchased a new TV and then moved our old TV to another room. So we have like, you know, whatever. Um, but anyway, on the new TV, we have Amazon Prime, um, and Mr. Robot's on Amazon Prime, and I had been watching it on my iPad and downloading it and traveling, and so I fired it up, and I was like, hey, let's watch something on Amazon Prime, uh, and, 
And so we watched uh, the first couple episodes of uh, Mr. Robot, and she's like, this is great. I'm in. I'm in on this. So now I have another one where I, where we watch things together, which makes things it, it makes it easier. Well, what we just started watching for the first time is this new um, um, Dirk Gently show, um, Dirk which ben- is Dirk Bentley. I think he's, I think Dirk. you're thinking of uh, I think you're thinking of uh, Law Love It. Uh, no, uh, Dirk Gently, um, which is uh, so it's based on a book by um, Douglas Adams, who wrote um, Hitchhiker's Guide. But there's been a, a BBC adaptation, but there is now a, a new adaptation, um, which is nothing like the books, but which I am really enjoying and uh, which I think Kristen <clears throat> may eventually come around to. I'm not sure, but it it uh, it stars uh, that guy that was the Hobbit from that uh, from that other movie. So the guy from the from the Hobbit from the other movie who is in uh, who's also Dr. Watson or is it a different guy? No, maybe I'm thinking of a no, uh, the, a different Hobbit. The, other, the younger he's, Hobbit. He's the other he's Hobbit. Frodo. Frodo, not Bilbo, right? From, from uh, now I got to look. The guy from Rudy? Oh, no, Elijah Wood. No? Yes, Elijah oh, Wood. Oh, yeah, that's him. Yeah, Elijah Wood. There you go. Dirk's Gently Holistic Detective Agency. I got to check yeah, this he's, out. And he's, and he's not Dirk Gently. He is the Watson character to uh, to <laughs> Dirk Gently's Sherlock character. So there you go. Okay, that's we a brought show. It, we, brought it full, <laughs> we brought it full circle. We're done. Hey, speaking uh, of... Before I, yeah, nicely done, <laughs> nicely you, done. Um, before I completely forget, um, uh, Mr. Robot reminds me of that other uh, show that you that you listen to, and by listen to uh, by show I mean podcast, and listen to I mean Mr. Not Mr. Robot, but Robot or Not, um, which reminds me that on the way here I was listening to a podcast which was not Robot or Not, but also stars the same guy from that uh, podcast, uh, uh, which is Reconcilable Differences, which right. I have talked here before yeah. but the latest episode uh merlin and john uh get into talking about food safety and about science and uh it's just it's a good episode uh, again podcast is highly recommended but this particular episode is great uh merlin quotes from the cdc about raw milk oh. uh, and they talk uh, talk about big milk uh suppressing uh you know true information about raw milk uh tongue-in-cheek of course because i think they're probably both uh uh, non raw milk drinkers, but uh, anyway, really good episode. Ta- good, good. I mean, good talks about science, and just I think our listeners, our listeners would like it. Um, and uh, just uh, like uh, so many podcasts, uh, they start uh, off in the popular culture, and you know, the first few uh, popular culture links in their, sn- their show notes are the discussion of the Floby and the Kenner Luke. Skywalker action figure and then the Boba Fett uh, action figure. So um, lots of lots of good popular culture as well as sciencey stuff in there. Awesome. I will. Uh, I'll check that out. Um, I so speaking of uh, of the milk and uh, and, st- <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh-huh. I got like a weird, so, well, a somewhat weird request for a uh, um, an interview from uh, Epicurious, who who you might oh. know. You know them, yeah. right? They're on the, on yeah. the interwebs. Um, about UHT milk and its shelf life. Yeah. W- which is like, uh, I don't know. I, we'll see where this interview goes, right? It's, we're going to talk tomorrow. But, uh, but it's like, uh, yeah, so it's it can, it, like basically the, the question that was in the email is, is UHT milk safe to store at room temperature? And the interview will be very short. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> but you know this UHT milk is an interesting one because uh like for example does the UHT process destroy not to confuse you sure, with sure. your answer that you've already made your mind up about yeah, um, that's what I got, but yeah 
But does UHT milk destroy Bacillus cereus? I, I I don't know. I don't. Know. Does it? Does it, Don? I don't know. I'm 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 asking the question. I, I'm. It may not. Right. And so we do know that Bacillus cereus can be in milk. Um. And so, um. But of course. You know the risk is the risk is low uh, if if it if it's there at all. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a good question. I I don't I don't know. Um, the Brazilian uh, here we go. Uh, Bacillus cereus and Brazilian UHT milk. Ah, okay. A publication from two thousand and seven. Um, in the continuous blah blah blah. <laughs> um, so what does it say? I don't know. Um. Okay. Organism science is hard. Yeah, science is tough. Uh, we'll check it out. So, I, good, good question, Don. I will, uh, I will, I will, uh, I will review this uh, prior to my uh, discussion tomorrow. All and, right. And I'll let Very you know. Good. I'll let you know when I come out. But, but I mean, uh, UHD milk it doesn't have a shelf life. Yeah. <laughs> that was the other question. Doesn't have a shelf life. What they didn't ask what what like how long uh, it was. <laughs> <laughs> It does have a shelf life, right? Like it's all got shelf life. Yeah. Um, so um, I got some. I got something else for you. Another before we move okay. too far off of uh, popular culture and and people mm. that are calling me mm. for interviews. Um, uh, my our, our new our newest favorite show, uh, Divorce, on HBO. Okay, mm-hmm. check it out. Um, Sarah Jessica Parker, who's not not my favorite, mm. um, but Thomas Hayden Church, uh, formerly of star of Wings. Uh, a fantastic oh, yeah. uh, uh, sitcom yeah. in the uh, in the 90s and mm-hmm. 80s mm-hmm. uh and mm-hmm. also uh in the merlot movie what was that uh remember that sideways sideways side yeah i wanted to call it american splendor but that was another movie that paul giamatti was in um he's he's fantastic the show's really good there's three episodes on hbo right now uh it's it's it really really great he is the star it's, and it's, it's called divorce it's called divorce and you know what's you know what it's about <laughs> Uh, is it about divorce, Ben? <laughs> it is. It's about their uh, spoiler alert. They're getting divorced. Huh. Well, um, I uh, I've been there and done that, and uh, I oh I've seen pr- the promos for this. Yeah, they're the I'm yeah I'm I'm I, you know I'm sure there's material there uh, that could be mined for uh, for for uh, discussion on a television show. Uh, yeah, the promos do look uh, quite quite humorous. It's actually, good. It's good. So. I, I wouldn't take it. It's not a. Um... It's not a how-to. It's not a documentary. Uh, it is just a just a show set around a, a divorce, which which is a you know kind of a, and it, it starts off pretty funny. Uh, it's good. So check it out. That's 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 been the new one. Um, okay, very good. We're not listening to any new music. I, don't, I can't help you in that area. And so so Jack Kazaich is you're at the right spot. For <laughs> I've got nothing to add in the music world. Well, you've been what do you you've been listening to podcasts so. Uh, yeah, and I I did play some Almond Brothers, which is not new music. Um, actually, the latest the latest this thing with band. respect to this <laughs> new band Georgia called the Almond Brothers. Check them out. I'm sorry, and uh, and uh, maybe uh, not three dog night, but at least two dog afternoon here um, uh, in my house. Oh, so I apologize. Hey. For you. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, I apologize for the noisy the noisy dogs. Um, so uh, what's what am I talking about? Do- dogs. Uh, oh, uh, what I'm listening to. So oh, you know this is and they talked about this on on another podcast that I listened to uh, called the talk show that I mentioned before. What I would really like, I have enough room on my phone so that I would like 
to have all of my music on my phone. And apparently it is very, very hard to figure out how to do that. And so I was procrastinating doing some uh, consulting work on Sunday and I spent about 15 minutes not putting all of my music on my phone. So um, it's it's anyway. Okay. Uh, Apple Apple is great about some things and other things uh, not so great. And so I would really love to have all of my music on my phone, but I could not figure it out. Do you so? Do you subscribe to Apple Music? I do not. Oh well, that's then I have no. I can't help you. Okay. Because if you subscribe to Apple Music, then you would have access to all of your music on your phone. Well, I don't want so no, no. well. And here, then you could here, just download it, and then here, there's like a one button download all of it. Here, here's the thing, Ben. Most of the time when I want to listen to my music is when I'm on an airplane. Right, right. So I, I want all of my music on my phone without the internet. No, I, so I think you can do that. Okay. So, I'm, okay. so you would upload all of it to Apple Music. Then it would okay. exist in the uh, sky, the cloud, whatever it's the called. Clued. It's called the Clued. The Clued. The Clued. Richard Clunes, a former NHL player. Um, <laughs> I think then, you're thinking of Martin Clunes. I think, I think you're thinking of all the clowns that are attacking people in the woods um, all over the place, and including at Penn State University. Um, have, you, <laughs> I, have you missed I have, this reference? Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I, there's been some stuff um, uh, on, the, on the Internet about, about clowns that I have ignored because I'm really not that interested in clowns, but I have heard something about clowns, yes. Oh, you'll, you'll, you'll like this one. There is a frenzy uh, at Penn State after someone on social media said they saw clowns. And then something like 6,000 kids mobbed the streets looking for clowns. I'm sending, I'm sending you this because it's awesome. Yeah, so NPR says uh, this is an NPR story from September. Sinister clowns are scaring people in multiple states. Yeah, I mean, there's a clown epidemic. Yeah, I don't want to know about that. I, uh, that's, uh, I don't like clowns. I, I'm not interested. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm, not a clown, I'm not a clown fan. I, I, I'm looking at this as protect yourself, Don. Um, <laughs> I'm going to protect be, myself by not reading the story. Be aware. Be aware of the clowns. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I don't even know what, you're, what we were talking about. We, should, we were talking about how to get all my music on my oh, phone, yeah. but so, without Apple Music. I do have I do have iTunes Match, um, but uh, yeah, it's just – it's wow. Apple's made it too complicated, and they need to make things simple so, so stupid people like me can figure it out. Well, one, what you need is all your music on your watch. <laughs> Uh, no, it won't fit on my watch. No, it doesn't fit on my phone. We need a bigger watch. No, no, I, I need Apple to simplify iTunes. I want, I want a watch that holds a hundred gigabytes of music. Um, I have. Well, do you listen? Yes, so, it's called it's called your iPhone, and you can just get a some duct tape and just strap it right on. Yeah. And then every but I and I now with the new iOS, I don't have to hit the button to see what time it is. I would just have to pick it up on my. I'm going to try that right now. There you go. It works if I had it strapped there. Um, I use my watch when I run outside. Uh, I don't take my phone. And I uh, stream the – not stream the music. I send it uh, through the bleep blorp uh, to my headphones. Cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I've got, I've got a couple of playlists sitting on my watch. That, nice. Uh, yeah, it, work, it works. But it takes um, for effing ever. To, uh, to get it there. To get it there. Oh, my gosh. Like if I want to upload a playlist – if I wanted to run today mm -hmm. and I wanted to put, let, let's say, 15 songs on my watch, I needed to start it, like, in 2014. <laughs> like, I, there's no way. It seriously takes, like, like 40 minutes a song. Like, you have to be – you have to plan. 
Yeah. Which so anyway, anyway. Um oh, Don, I've missed you. I know it's only been a couple of weeks. <laughs> That's nice of you to say. I, I really I really do. Like I looked I looked last Wednesday or Thursday and I was like, when am I talking to Don again? <laughs> and then I was like, it's Monday. I can make it. I can make it to that. I can make it. Good. There's stuff that's gone on. You know. There is stuff going on in the food safety world. Maybe we should talk about some of it. Let's do it. Let's go. Where, where would you where would you like to start? At the clowns? Are the <clears throat> clowns? Are clowns making people sick, Don? <laughs> I don't think so. No, I think you're, I think you're <laughs> um, Oh, let's let's talk let's talk about um uh, uh listener feedback. Ooh, can we do that? Yeah, of course. Listen, do we have so, a do we have a a, a cart cartridge we should we could put in for that? What are they called? A cart? Some 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 music listener feedback. <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right, go. Let's talk um, listener feedback. Yeah. So this is from uh, this is from uh, Matt Dickinson. Uh, he says, uh, please share all details freely. He says, hi, Food Safety Talk. I'm a big fan of the show on the most recent episode, episode 110. This is so great when people are emailing us about the most recent episode, and it actually is the most recent episode, and we're talking about it. It's wonderful. Um, <clears throat> so you guys briefly mentioned the safety of cut fruits, such as cantaloupe, and how the food safety risks increase with time after it's cut. I'm wondering if you could say a little bit more and give guidelines for non-experts like myself on keeping cut fruit in the fridge. And what I did was I said, yeah, so uh, I, I emailed him our paper, uh, the paper that I wrote with Michelle Daniluk on LM growth in cantaloupe, and I said, see, see figure three, and I, I suggested uh, that uh, anything less than a one-log increase would be good risk management. So, um, But the other question that he posed was about um, – uh, infused water, and he says, uh, I was wondering um, uh, I was wondering about infused water. Uh, when somebody puts uh, cucumbers or fruit in a pitcher of water and that's refilled and dispensed throughout the day, we have an infused water dispenser at my office. I'm wondering how safe that is, how often the fruit needs to be replaced, et cetera, et cetera. And my response to him on that was, <clears throat> with respect to uh, infused water, we just don't know, right? I don't know if anybody has really looked at it. This is something that I have talked about uh, with uh, friends of the podcast, uh, Michelle Daniluk and Linda Harris, uh, because uh, for a long time, the citrus industry would tell them that, uh, that the, the surface of citrus fruit is not a food contact uh, surface or is not a – people don't don't eat the, the, the surface of cut fruit. Um, and they rightfully pointed out uh, that if you infuse water with it, that, that, that surface of the fruit is in contact with the water, so people are eating that. And so so, um, you know, that, this sounds like a, a research topic that is just crying out for somebody to research it, unless unless you've unless you know of anything. Yeah, no, I don't know of anything, and and it's um, a question that's that's come up uh, as well in in other um, with other people that I know that are not in the food safety world. Like um, we, I was uh, I was at a hotel with uh, some hockey uh, parents uh, last year, and you know when you go to some. Ho Hotels that are like not super fancy, but trying to be fancy, they might have mm -hmm. some, some yep. infused water when you when you check in. And someone like made not made a joke, but was like, "Hey, is that safe?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it was it's as safe as the stuff we put in there and the growth of it, <laughs> right? Yep. Like that's yep. uh, yeah. And so um, yeah, no, I think it's um, what I guess what I <clears throat> what what I would guess is that water that you put in there with um, with raw citrus or raw cucumbers or i saw peppers in one mm -hmm. um 
would be um, not, uh, you know, not not have enough residual chlorine to maybe kill stuff that's in there. Um, but uh, most of that water that I've that I've per- not purchased that I've imbibed is uh, is chilled. There's a bunch of ice in there. So mm-hmm. I wonder mm-hmm. what the growth. Uh, I, my guess is that growth would be if there was something there would not be uh, super quick. Yeah, and and so uh, we are not recommending this website, but we will link to infusedwaters.com, and they have an FAQ on their page, and they say, how long should I infuse the water? Uh, The advice from them is a good rule of thumb is to infuse for one to two hours at room temperature or in the fridge for three to four hours. Do you like your water really fruity and tangy? You can infuse overnight uh, or up to 12 hours. Um, They also go on to say, if you infuse for four or more hours, remove the fruits and herbs from the water and then store <clears throat> the infused water in the fridge for up to three days. That sounds like actually pretty good food safety advice. Yeah, um, that sounds like that would be in, in line with how we would handle uh, TCS foods in a commercial food setting, right? Yep. Um, but they also say, let's see, oh, do they don't address food safety directly, but they do say, do I need to worry about the fruit going bad or spoiling? Um, here, you know, it's a little, well, it's let's, let's read what they have to say. Um, uh, do I need to worry about the fruit going bad or spoiling, not if you keep your infused waters refrigerated. Cold temperatures keep fruit and all foods fresh. Do not forget to use, don't forget to use your own eyeballs and nose. If your infused water looks or smells weird after a few days, do not drink it. Well, um, cold temperatures don't keep, they, they slow the degradation process. They do not keep things fresh. So, so something, and you can witness this if you were to, let's say, look in the produce drawer of my refrigerator from time to time, um, you would see uh, perhaps some rotting produce there, right, if we're not keeping up with it. And so certainly fruits and vegetables do spoil even at refrigerator temperatures, even in a a properly set refrigerator. So that is potentially a problem. Um, And then, of course, um, the advice to use your eyeballs and nose is not bad advice, but it doesn't keep you safe um, from foodborne pathogens. So, uh, yeah, so so some good advice from infusedwaters.com, but also maybe could be could be better. And then a little bit of misinformation there. So, well, there you go. And um, uh, you know, um, I don't know why I just clear, cleared my throat like that. Um, you know, the the <laughs> thing like you started with this conversation is we don't really have a lot of uh, a lot of data on it. Um, so it's a, you know, maybe a, a starting point is uh, for someone to look at this and let's uh, infuse a bunch of water and let's maybe uh, put some uh, some pathogens on, see what see what grows and see what grows under different conditions, under different different types of water. And then uh, we would know we'd know better. Well, and I did I did. I think I've shared on the podcast before. Um, Michelle Danluck visited us at some point and we went to our new healthy cafe, uh, which is named Harvest. Uh, I finally learned the name so I can stop calling it the healthy cafe. Um, it, the reason why it's a healthy cafe is that they don't have uh, certain things there, which we know are unhealthy, like sucralose. Uh, I can't get sucralose to put in my coffee because apparently that's unhealthy. Uh, I'm glad that they decided that cream was okay to put in my coffee. Uh, apparently cream is, is not unhealthy. So, um, I'm a little, I'm a little irked at them, but I understand what they're going for, but I would, I really, I don't like, I don't like putting sugar in my coffee and I don't like putting stevia in my coffee. I would really love some sucralose, but you know what I do, Ben? I take that healthy coffee back to my office and I put some of that nasty sucralose in it when I get it back to my office. But at this healthy cafe called Harvest next to my office, next to the building, next to my building, um, 
they have infused water because they have it everywhere. And so, uh, as you may know, uh, we uh, run a program in my lab where we inspect food from Rutgers University dining halls and cash operations, and harvest is a cash operation. And so I've directed my graduate students when they're there uh, to take a sample. And I believe they've only taken one sample, and I need to kind of remind them that they should be sampling every time that they go. They should sample the, the infused water every time, at least till we get a, a, a bunch of data. Um, and when we sampled it, we didn't find much. We didn't find hardly anything. So it was quite, quite clean on a CFU per 25 gram basis, which is how we take the samples. Hmm. Interesting. Um, but, uh, but you guys, you probably don't know the, 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 the all the <clears throat> connecting data on how long it was there, what was in oh, it. Oh, no. Yeah, no, no. It's, yeah. it's a point in time sample. Yeah. Uh, no, we, we don't, we don't know any of that. Hmm. Well, we should maybe do something on this. Um, yes. Hey, I'm going to send you, I'm sending you a link here. It's for you to, to bring up in your in your internet uh, browser in in the Netscape. Um, this is from uh, NewYorkCity.gov about how to make flavor infused water. And uh, you know, I'm really glad that the government of New York City is inviting is advising us on how to make infused water because God knows they probably don't have enough to do. No, no. So this is uh, we, I think we can thank uh, Mayor De Blasio for this. Um, start with cold tap water, Don. Okay. Choose your flavor. Okay, good. Um, use frozen fruit, fruit to keep your water flavored and chilled. This is the one I want to come back to. Oh, Jesus. I All right. I think you're going to yep. like this. Don't add sugar, Don. Okay. Um, slice or chop your items to get the most flavor. If you crave fizz, use plain seltzer water, blah, blah, blah. They say here, combine your flavors in the pitcher. Shake or sit, let sit for at least 30 minutes and then enjoy. What if I want to let it sit for a long time? doesn't say how to handle that. But... Let's talk about use frozen fruit to keep your water flavored and chilled. This is as you were Googling, I was Googling. And mm. uh, um, this, you know, this comes back to we talked a lot about uh, Listeria and frozen and frozen stuff. And uh, uh, a, a while back um, when I was doing some media around um, the frozen vegetable uh, linked to Listeria outbreak uh, from uh, some places in, uh, in Washington, Washington State. Um, I asked a question of uh, someone that we know in the frozen food industry about whether they would consider or whether the industry considers frozen fruits to be ready-to-eat foods. And, uh, and you and I re recently talked about hepatitis A and frozen uh, um, uh, fruits. And, and so the answer, the industry sometimes can, you know, considers them to be ready-to-eat and sometimes not. And here you go. Just take your maybe sometimes ready to eat, sometimes not ready to eat frozen fruit and throw it in your flavor, in your in your water to flavor it. Hmm. 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 Yeah. I. You know. I am really puzzled why NYC.gov is telling people. Oh, I guess it's to promote consumption of tap water because Must the be. first the first line is NYC tap water is clean, safe, and good for you. And so I guess it's which which is. Fine. I mean, I mean, actually, I think I believe I, I, I believe I am correct in this. This is working from memory, but uh, I believe New York City tap water is some of the finest uh, tap water in the country, and it is very safe and clean and good. Uh, but so I, I guess I can kind of see why they're promoting people drinking tap water, uh, you know. And I guess it's a it's a certainly a more economic uh, economical alternative than buying bottled water. Um, 
so yeah, I'm in favor of people drinking uh, safe, clean, and good tap water. Um, but yeah, I think they could do a little bit better with this particular advice. It's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful looking PDF. I really I mean somebody this nice graphics and I I love the layout. I love the font. It's it's really a, it's no it's beautiful. It's, it's all really the best nice. Fonts. All the, no, it's really it's really nice. I like it. I mean I like a lot of what they're doing here, but I just wish that they had. Uh, uh, gotten a little bit more information. Oh, and and that you know you know who helped them to make this, Ben. This was made CDC. possible with funding from the CDC. Yeah, and it's from the and it's from the New York City Health Department. And so I guess they're promoting water and fruits, which is good. But I wish, yeah, it just could be. I, I would I would want to tweak it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. Oh my God! And that that kid that kid, his hair is so cute. It looks like a little drop of water. It comes right. to a point. It's right next to the drop of water. It's right next bullet, to yeah points. Um, very cute. Listeners should check the, uh, this uh, very well done uh, PDF. Um, so here, here's some uh, sharing New Yorkers sharing their favorite recipes. Uh, squeezed lemon and watermelon. That sounds good. Mint and any fruit combination. Uh, and then Spencer, that was from Kia. Spencer likes cucumbers and strawberries. Um, and, you know, and, uh, oh, here, here you go. <laughs> it, it just there's, there's so much to work with, Don. There's no, we're never going to run out of material. So, so speaking of mint, let me let me ask you this question, okay? So, um, we uh, we have some mint growing in barrels um, outside our back door. It's still it's 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 getting cold here in New Jersey, but it's still it's still going. We have one barrel of spearmint and one barrel of peppermint. And we keep them in barrels because otherwise they would just take over the entire yard because mint is is definitely invasive. So, um, the and I don't quite understand it. So the the peppermint is next to the house, and the spearmint is kind of next to the porch, but away from the house. And for some reason, and I don't know if it's because of location or because of the the nature of the mint, flies really like the peppermint. Really? And so now this time of year, there's not so many flies because it's a little bit cooler here. But during the summer months, there would be a lot of flies around the peppermint. And I don't know, I mean, and these look like house flies, right? So these are not bees buzzing around, right? These are flies. And for whatever reason, you know, I mean, I think flies like things like poop, but apparently they like, they also like peppermint, at least this particular huh. peppermint. And so, so my question to you is if I take those leaves and I crush them up and I mix them with bourbon, <laughs> what's my risk, Ben? Uh... What's of risk? getting of getting of getting foodborne diseases <laughs> from the flies who might have gone to poop and then and then walked on my peppermint. Gosh, I would think it's really really low, Don. I would think. Like, Good. That's in, the answer. That's the answer I was hoping you would say. Wouldn't wouldn't you like uh, so? And in, in yes. your you, you have some good risk management uh, uh, decisions <laughs> by adding this into a forty plus percent bourbon solution. Uh, uh, well, it's a, it's a hundred percent bourbon. It's right. 40, right. It's a 40% alcohol, uh, 80 proof, uh, the weak stuff. And uh, sometimes I use a higher proof stuff. Um, and I, I mix that with the uh, mint and then, and then I add some ice. So it does get diluted, but not after first context, the full, the full strength, uh, bourbon. Um, but I, I have to tell you though, that I, I prefer peppermint over spearmint, but during the months when there seem to be more fr flies, um, I kind of chose the spearmint more often. So I was, that was my risk management <laughs> decision as I went with spearmint instead of the peppermint. But now that the flies are gone, I'm back to the peppermint. Although it's the same peppermint that the flies have been walking on, but hopefully uh, UV radiation and time have taken care of any pathogens as well as the bourbon. Well, so let's, let's segue here into, um, <laughs> into something related to flies. One of, one of your former students and one of my former summer students, uh, Hannah Bollinger, 
um, is working on a project with our colleague uh, Sophie Cathario on uh, flies in uh, turkey uh, um, uh, production and looking at uh, potential for flies to carry antibiotic resistant Campylobacter and and maybe move it around. And so I've I've like learned a lot about flies and movement over the last uh, couple of years uh, being on um, Hannah's uh, committee. And there's some there's some interesting stuff like just <clears throat> the particulars of how do you get um, pathogens that that flies might have picked up out of those flies or off of those flies and the types of uh, strains that they might be carrying and where they might move it and how far they fly and, and all this kind of cool stuff that um, I don't think she's had uh, I don't think she's had any fly related publications as it relates to this work yet but um, but look for some stuff from from Hannah in the future it's kind of cool neat neat area of work so she can help you answer that um, yeah, actually, and she she did she did reach out to me recently because she had a bunch of data uh, that she was wanting to analyze, um, uh, you know, d do some stats on, and she had some questions for me. So we had we had a nice uh, email conversation. So uh, yeah, uh, delightful young lady. We will we will link to uh, her uh, post on the NC State News entitled "Food Safety 101: What Is Campylobacter and What Are We Doing About It?" Which has a lovely picture of Campylobacter, and then down below that a lovely picture of Hannah. So uh, we we will link to that. And what we're doing about it. Is Hannah. Hannah. <laughs> um, yeah, shout out, shout out to, to Hannah. I think I think she listens every once in a while. Not maybe not to oh. every episode. Maybe she'll listen to this one. Um, so so you got your mints. Oh oh, we had some more. Uh, um, there was some feedback. Well, this wasn't uh, listener feedback. We are going to get to some in a second. Uh, but there was a conversation that you had on Twitter with uh, with someone who I, I don't know if you know her, but I know her, uh, Shannon Majewitz. Uh, about, I don't, don't, I don't know her, but but I figured that you did. Yes. Yeah. So so you, um, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna see if I can uh, tag this back into my uh, my Twitter. But anyway, the the conversation I think started when when Shannon um, wrote that she was disappointed or angry with an angry emoji uh, mm. when uh, an individual at a uh, grocery store supermarket where she was purchasing some food asked her whether she wanted her her meat in a separate bag her raw meat for, in a separate bag uh, away from the rest of her groceries and her response was uh, you know uh, angry emoji <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and then you then you uh, uh, chimed in with with a response related to um, you know is that what tell me more why are you angered by yeah why, well yeah th yeah exactly why are you angry exactly and and, and then I, I you know I, I will uh, summarize the conversation where the the um, anger or the frustration came from that, of course, food uh, raw meat should be placed in a separate bag. Of course, like, and I'll I'll project my my thoughts um, mm -hmm. that that the uh, bagger or um, or cashier should know that and shouldn't have to ask that question. Shouldn't be asking that question, and it opens up a whole other. And, and I really like you know. And then Keith Warner. Uh, from the University of Guelph also chimed into the conversation. And you really, um, I think, sewed up uh, the essence of what we do in the podcast in this in, in, a, in a final tweet or, or close to final tweet on this, where it was about me, me asking someone to place my, um, you know, my raw meat in a uh, separate bag is my risk management decision, right? Like we all make 
our own risk management decisions. So, so yeah, there's a frustration that that um, maybe someone, maybe everyone should make that that decision, but everyone doesn't make the same risk management decisions. And the the world of risk communication, um, it, well, I mean, let's let's put it all together with the world of risk analysis is about let's look at what the science says about the risk itself. Um, let's communicate what those risks are, and then let's make people. Uh, let people make their own risk management decisions. And I, I think we have, uh, I'll give you um, an example of what I thought about, which is in, in the state of North Carolina. And, you know, I talk about, um, uh, well, I talk about North Carolina a lot, but I also talk about uh, <laughs> consumer advisories. Um, you know, in, in my state for, for about 10 years, it was against our food code law to order an undercooked hamburger or to serve an undercooked hamburger. Doesn't mean that people didn't get undercooked hamburgers. It meant that people did it it, like outside of the law and didn't go into the requirement for um, a consumer advisory or anything, you know? So so it's like, uh, it's impractical to place risk management decisions on consumers. And I think that's what you're, maybe that's like, maybe I read too much into it, but that's what I got out of um, out of your discussion. <laughs> well, well, you know, I'm, I'm willing to be convinced. And so I guess what I didn't, what I really didn't understand was why she had an angry face, right? Yeah. Because the, the bagger was asking her a question if, that if she answered correctly would reduce risk for her. But the bagger didn't want to presume uh, that that person wanted that done, I guess, because maybe the bag, the, 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 the shopper would feel guilty about using extra plastic bags or something. Absolutely. And so, right. And so, but, but it was a good jumping off point for what I think was a good discussion. But then, you know, as the, as you know, and, and, and professor Majewitz as, as is her Twitter, uh, prof Majewitz as her Twitter uh, handle is, um, and I, uh, discussed it and then Keith Warner jumped in as well. Um, it occurred to me, I tried to figure out like why I, well, I can never figure out why I disagree with Keith. I think he just likes to disagree with me on purpose just to make me angry. But, but, <laughs> but, 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 but Shannon and I think, I think came to some, some clarity. Um, but then it raised the, question in my mind, which is like, how much risk reduction is enough, right? It's like, well, um, you know, should I place this in a separate bag? Yeah. And actually double bag it. And actually, you know, again, I've, I've talked before about Wegmans. What I like at Wegmans is there is an, if, if everybody's appropriately stocked everything correctly, there are extra overwrap bags back at the meat counter and there's hand sanitizer at the meat counter. Right. And so, or, or at, at the meat, uh, uh, uh uh, not the counter, but the yeah, but the the, any, the, the, the display the, case. Display case. Thank yeah. you. The, the place where you pick the meat up from. <laughs> the meat picker upper. The meat. The meat spot. The meat spot. Uh, <laughs> the uh, and and so you can. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you can reach up, grab a, a bag, take your 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 bagged meat and uh, your your packaged meat. Put it in the bag. Set that in your cart, which is now in a fresh bag, and then sanitize your hands. Which to me. That is a way better risk reduction strategy than waiting until you get to the counter and then having that person put it in a separate bag. So if we're talking optimal risk reduction in the store, that's what they should be advocating and that's what there should be signage to promote. I honestly, the the uh, the putting that 
moving that risk management point to the to the bagger, I think at that point, you know, the Campylobacter are already, you know, all over the cart, right? So, uh, you know, if you really wanted to think about risk management, I'm not sure that that's optimal risk management strategy. And so, um, but but again, my my reason for just for engaging was uh, I just didn't understand uh, why she was angry. But but we did we did come to some resolution on it. And so Twitter Twitter can be useful. Right, right. Well, and so I would look at that 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 example in a, in a way of um, of choice, right? So okay, if if the thought is hey, it's disappointing that we're not always placing uh, food in separate bags, which is to, to like. Make no mistake, that's the risk management decision that I would make. Then, in fact, if I could make it for other people, which I wouldn't want to, that's the one that I would suggest. But I don't see anyone in this conversation walking around in that meat spot, squirting hand sanitizer and making people use those sanitizer um, uh, items that are there, right? Like, like, right. like that's, right. a, that's, a, that's a risk management decision. What it is is a failure around risk communication where we or or that people are making different trade-offs and say exactly as, as you put it, I don't want to waste that plastic bag or I don't want plastic bags or whatever. Other value judgments which supersede food safety for some people sometimes. And that's where like it really does get into um, a more holistic look at how we make people – manage risks or not sorry let me go back it's not how we make people it's how we we attempt as society to manage risk for people versus how do we communicate risks so they make those risk management decisions and it's like i mean it's raw milk regulation it's consumer advisories it's all this stuff wrapped up into this very like interesting twitter conversation that i lurked um around uh, while I coached hockey, like like that was, you know, it, it was it was to me is it, it's just a it's a philosophical um, difference. And and all you know, there is a um, you know being being that I'm Canadian, I can talk about this. Um, and and Shannon's uh, you know Canadian. Um, there there is we do already make a decision about certain risk management choices for people in Canada more than there are in the US and I'll come back to eating undercooked hamburgers. You can't um you can't sell an undercooked hamburger in in Canada. And it's it's like a no question. It's like something that's not been around for 30 years. Um where where in the US it's it's absolutely an accepted practice and one of my early memories of of food is when I you know I, I wrote about this in Barf blog. I'll see if I can find the the post but I was 10 years old. My family and I, we went to Disney in Florida for the first time. And I remember going out for dinner to a restaurant, ordering a hamburger. And for the first time in my life, I was asked how I wanted that burger done. Mm. And, and I um, I liked steak. I knew that I liked steak rare. So I said, I'd like that like medium rare. And I got the juiciest, most flavorful burger that I've ever, like that I still remember. I mean, you know, uh, 28 years later so but i but that was never an option when i was when i was in canada like that like we just make different different decisions and i don't know you know and then the raw milk it's the same kind of thing so so for me i didn't i, I like it, it just gave this like it made me think about other things about instead of uh let's make risk management decisions let's do a better job at risk communication yeah, and actually, th this whole discussion has made me think about an article uh, that I read years ago in Science Magazine, uh, where somebody looked at 
uh, cradle to grave environmental impact of paper cups versus styrofoam cups. And it's, of course, everybody's like, well, paper cups are recyclable, right? But it's like, well, yes, and styrofoam is not. But if you look at the costs of growing the trees and turning the trees into paper and uh, bleaching the paper and doing all the stuff that actually styrofoam may be better for the environment than paper, which, you know, you could argue whether that is an accurate assessment, right? But it, it does raise the question to like, well, so what do you mean by risk or what do you mean by costs? Right. right. And so, um, again, it's, uh, you know, it's where we, we end up so many times on this podcast. It depends and it's complicated, but, but I, I felt like it was a worthwhile exchange I had with Shannon because I didn't really, I didn't understand, uh, why she wrote what she did. And we were able to 140 characters or less at a time, we were able to work it out and, uh, and we had, we had some good discussion. So, um, but, but yeah, ultimately the store is not going to have the, uh, the meat counter police back there watching people and saying, Oh no, no, no. We want you to put that in that bag and then right. use a hand sanitizer. Uh, you know, cause, cause we don't want you to get sick from Campylobacter, which is on the outside of our chicken packages, which it shouldn't be there. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe but again, it, but part it of it is, is like, well, let's, yeah. let's, yeah, but it probably is. And so let's, let's look more holistically at, at the whole problem. It's like, well, why are we even managing this risk to begin with? Well, it's because people have done surveys and they found pathogens on the outside of those meat containers because meat uh, you know, uh, containers leak or there's some, you know, flaw in the wrapping process, et cetera. And so like, well, if we're really trying to manage that risk, maybe there's other ways that we can, we can manage it. But certainly, uh, having somebody at the counter offer to put it in a separate bag is easy. You can train all of your cashiers to do that. Um, and, and it, it does offer some level of risk mitigation, whether it's the optimal risk mitigation or not, you know, remains to be seen, but, but, but at least it is, is an option. Um, or it, it is something that they can do. And again, I guess what what Shannon would say is that that they we shouldn't even be asking people. We should just be doing this for them and uh, uh, not uh, not giving them the choice. Oh, I was on mute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, let's let's pivot, Don. That's a word. That's pivot. A word, it's a word I learned this week when I when I watched the uh, when I watched the debates. The uh, let's let's pivot to some more listener feedback. Okay, uh, but I need to find it. It's about <laughs> it's about Harvard. Harvard, Harvard, as they say. Well, how do you so, like? How do yeah, you like them, so, them apples. So while while you look for the listener uh, feedback, I will uh, basically bring people up to speed. Um, so apparently, I'm so proud of Rutgers University uh, because we apparently pay our workers uh, who work in our dining halls a living wage. Um, but at Harvard, maybe not so much. So this is an article from the Harvard Crimson, uh, and it is uh, undated uh, according to the printout that I have made. And so I apologize for that. But it is from the Harvard Crimson. The headline is um, Students Concerned About Food Safety Options as HUDS Strike Drag Drags On. And HUDS is Harvard University Dining Services. It is a historic uh, dining services strike. It is in it as of the time of I printed this out. It was in its second week. And I can look and see. I printed this out on uh, October 12th. And so uh, as of October 12th, it was in the second week. Um, uh, students have reported finding undercooked meals, meats mixed in with vegetarian food, and insects in their food, prompting some to wonder whether understaffed kitchens are able to maintain the regular health and safety standards of Harvard University Dining Services. And I cannot speak to 
the standards of Harvard University. I, I will say uh, that my colleague, John Nason, who is the university sanitarian for Rutgers University, does regularly contact his colleague at that other Ivy at other New Jersey Ivy League institution uh, down the down the, the road from us Princeton <coughs> University um, and and they do regularly communicate about these things um, but uh, but yeah it sounds like it's a bad situation at Harvard and and it's really uh, given the size of their endowment um, it's rather appalling uh, that they really don't seem to care about uh, their workers and uh, about uh, food safety apparently yeah and and that it, um, I mean, the the article is pretty pretty interesting as it relates to the stuff that you relayed on exposure to lots of not so great food safety choices, right? Like, and frozen foods that are, or like frozen entrees that are still frozen. You know, we've seen lots of stuff in in the past as it relates to that, and um, almost raw chicken. Like, so just like not. Um, it, it's it's where you know sometimes labor issues get get mixed in with yeah except you might really be exposing your uh patrons clientele students in this case to to a much larger issue than just um poor service right or or right. different or you know what or different service or whatever right um so yeah i mean it seems like a um a a bit of a mess uh there and uh and you know, and hopefully there's no uh, there's not increased illnesses or anything. Yeah. Um. I wanted to talk about something that you okay. that that I wrote that I wrote about and that you put into the uh, in, into our little file system. Yes. Uh. Okay. Interesting case. This is uh from last week and. Um, I, as a, we were doing some, uh, some, you know, search in the world of Google for food safety things, I came across this, um, interesting story, uh, out of, um, somewhere in, actually, I don't even know where this is, Lewis County, I think it's in Missouri, um, and, uh, it was about a hepatitis A case that was, uh, that was not really a hepatitis A case, and so a... Um, uh, retail store had a uh, employee the week before who had uh, been identified as uh, having hepatitis A and they were working in the bakery uh, and it turns out that it was a false positive. Uh, so county officials said, here's a press release, you know, um, go ahead and, and go talk to your uh, healthcare provider, maybe get a, get a um, shot of vaccine. Uh, but then uh, they went back and said, yeah, you know, false positive, so there's no infection, no risk to, uh, to customers. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, here's the a quote from the shop and cart owner, Darius McDaniel. Um, they they went and uh, decontaminated, threw out a bunch of uh, products, uh, and said it, it cost thousands of dollars. Uh, in the future, he says, in the future, if anything would happen again, we would ask for another test right away because this sent a lot of bad signals for our business when, in fact, it wasn't true. We did take the proper steps and acted very quickly. And I wrote, um, you know, my, my very quick take on this is uh, this this sucks, but um, that's the problem with uh, going public, right? If you're if you get it wrong and you go early. Uh, then, uh, then, then it's bad and, or no, what, what's the, what's the quote we want to use here? If you go <laughs> too early and you, you, you'll, whatever it's, 
Paul, yes, Paul, Paul, Paul it's a quote from Paul Mead, um, which is one of my favorite quotes ever. And he says is that if you go public and you're wrong, you release the information too early. If you if you go if you go public and you're right, you were too late because you should have released it earlier because uh, because you know now it's because in taking the time to get it right you've you've now delayed and you've had a p- potential public health impact and so I guess my response to this is that I, I can understand uh, Mr. McDaniel's frustration but the solution is not to not do it the solution is to educate people that that sometimes this is going to happen and that what we make the and of course it is a risk management decision right there's no amount of science that's going to tell you it's the right thing or the wrong thing to do this is a risk management decision about when to go public and occasionally risk managers are going to get that wrong but wouldn't you uh mr mcdaniel if it was a different store and it was your family that was eating that food or or implicated wouldn't you want to know and then later be relieved and and yes and it's unfortunate and you know we 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 do i mean his the reputation of his store Hopefully time will heal that. Uh, the costs associated with it. Well, I think we really ought to have an insurance system that 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 deals with this, so that his store is not is not out that that money. Um, but uh, yeah, this is this is. Uh, I can feel his frustration, but I don't dispute that this was the right thing for the public health officials to do in this case. Agreed. Yeah, I'm 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 100 on this. Um, the the issue um, with anything when it comes to risk communication is telling people what you know and what you don't know, where the uncertainty is, and when you'd expect to know more. And and often a lot of that gets lost, right? Like the, the press releases, here's what we know. Um, and here, based on what we know, what we recommend. The other parts of it that are missing helps in a situation like, like this. And, you know, I, I feel like in public health, it's really important to go and share what you know as soon as you know something, even though you might be wrong and just tell people, hey, we might be wrong about this, but if we can protect one other person from from getting ill, even though we might not be seeing an illness, you know, what, whatever, you know, talking about all that uncertainty, that that's always erring on the on the side of of public health as opposed to protecting a business, which is not, you know, I think government, I think government uh, folks get wrapped up in that sometimes where they're worried about how it might play out with who's going to call the, you know, um, the, the, the commissioner of the department or, or someone in, in local government or whatever. But I mean, it's, I, I just feel like, and maybe it's cause you and I aren't in that world. I just feel like, how can you argue with, Hey, we thought that we might be protecting public health, so we went out with this, and we're sorry that that a business got hurt by it. But um, we we're here to protect people from getting sick. Right, right. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. Um, did you? I think as uh, the typical time for follow up is at the beginning of an episode, but I think that we do need some follow up from something that we discussed last week, which is Mighty Taco. Oh yeah. Um, and we we had some speculations uh, in the last episode, um, so about about what was causing uh, problems with uh, Mighty Taco's refried beans, and so uh, we know that there were at least 140 people that that ate at uh, Mighty Taco, which is a uh, a fast food ch- small 
small chain uh, located in western New York State, um, uh, in Erie and Niagara counties in specific, specifically. And the, the restaurant chain uh, purchased the refried beans from a third-party supplier, and that third-party supplier apparently sold them refried beans that were, that was contaminated that caused food poisoning. Um, we speculated about what it might be. I think you raised the question that, that Marler thought it was norovirus. Is that right? Yeah, that's what it was reported on one of his his blogs, which uh, which didn't didn't seem right to me. Fit. And I yeah right. And I had said, well, I think it's more likely to be something like Bacillus, uh, but like Clostridium perfringens, um, because we do know, uh, thanks to some published research and and you know from from other people, and we we work with the organism that in a cooked product like this, perfringens is quite likely. The spores are there in the raw material; they germinate during the cooking process, and then if you have improper cooling, uh, which is certainly a possibility if you're making uh, these refried beans in large quantities, um, you will get uh, food poisoning. You will get the, the production of uh, Clostridium perfringens, or uh, germination of perfringen spores, which will turn into perfringen cells as the, the beans are cooled too slowly. Um, what I didn't suggest, but what is seems very uh, also equally likely, or not quite as equally likely, but doesn't surprise me, is Bacillus cereus. Again, same sort of modus, of, modus operandi. The spores are in the raw material. They germinate during the cooking process, and then if you cool it slowly, Bacillus cereus does not grow as rapidly as Clostridium perfringens, but it will still grow, and it will certainly grow in refried beans. And it turns out that was the organism that was identified um, according to state health officials, and so um, we can we can close the books on that one um, and say, uh, good job, uh, New York State uh, public health people, for figuring out it was Bacillus cereus. And so uh, certainly uh, the rules that we have in place to monitor and control uh, cooling of cooked foods are sufficient to control clostridium perfringens. And as far as I know, those same, because we've, we've, again, we've done a little bit of work in this area, those same parameters will also control Bacillus cereus. And so obviously something wrong uh, happened during the preparation of those refried beans, or there was maybe temperature abuse uh, along the way, either improper cooling or temperature abuse uh, somehow during the transport or, or eventually uh, leading to this problem at these Mighty Taco locations. But but again, uh, fortunately, a lot of people sick, but maybe nobody, uh, nobody died. It looks like and we figured out the cause so yay uh that's a that's a, that's a public health win <laughs> good job um yeah and i i want to jump in a little more on this one because uh you mentioned um you know all these refried beans came from one supplier pellegrino foods out of um, pennsylvania and uh i just shot you a, a link to about pellegrino foods i want to read a little bit about the background of this company it's an approved it's an uh, sorry, Pellegrino Foods Product Company Incorporated is an approved FDA as well as USDA bakery slash meat plant located in the East Coast. Its 50,000 square foot facility specializes in a variety of product lines such as canning, entree, bakery, pot pies, and enrobed and encrusted handhelds. I don't know what an enrobed handheld is, but it's I, I'm I think I'll maybe it's like uh, pies, like uh, calzones, I guess. Um, well, I, and I, I would say that um, they may be approved FDA as well as USDA bakery slash meat plant, but I think that they should probably hire someone who's an English major and rewrite their website into uh, clear English because that is not a good sentence. Right. It's And it's not really sure. I don't really know what that means. Um, they uh, also, um, if I found something, uh, oh, our history. They, uh, there's a nice little uh, 
um, a bit about in you know 1946, Anthony Pellegrino Sr. began canning his mother's pepper recipe in his home. Uh, this family recipe was well received by local. <laughs> I'm sure, it was allowed at the time. Yeah, it was the 40s. Uh, soon, Anthony began to sell his canned peppers on a commercial basis. He'd load up the back of the family station wagon, make deliveries to markets within a 50 mile radius of his home. You know, the, the it, it's the. Uh, it, the traditional uh, boy, boy meets canner, uh, canner meets uh, vegetables, uh, canner vegetables and boy uh, make a food business story. It's 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 a fairy tale. Um, anyway, they uh, into the seventies went into a much larger facility, uh, and, and then uh, you know today they're uh, they are a this you'll like this uh, sentence as well. Today, Pellegrino Food Products Company Incorporated is a total USDA plant. Producing its canned peppers, stromboli, calzones, and pot pies. So it's a, they're fully full USDA total. Um, here's here's the thing, uh, Don. You bring up two points uh, in your conversation. Uh-huh. Uh, yes, we've closed the book on Mighty Taco. Uh, I think we are just opening the book on Pellegrino Foods. Um, and and yeah, it's 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 either something that happened here, or it's a it's a transport issue. And um, the the thing that um, that comes up and, and actually one of our listeners Scott Lockheed 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 I don't know exactly how to spell or how to pronounce his name but we, I think it's pronounced Loki yeah Lo, Loki as, and, as in the the Norse god yeah Loki and Thor Scott Thor um, he, we we've had conversations on Twitter about um, you know suppliers and businesses and and the thing is you and I are part of this. Um, food safety uh, preventative control preventive controls alliance and uh, in in all you know in, in a in a food safety plan that's complete um, you're doing something about checking your suppliers and it doesn't really matter you know mighty taco might not have done anything um, incorrectly with this with this product but they chose a supplier that did, and they're still on the hook for that. And that's that is the complex part about the, or one of the complex parts about the food system is, um, everyone's got a hand in that in that final product. So yes, uh, probably. I mean, if Marler had this on his uh, um, radar, there'll probably be some uh, lawsuits that they'll go after Mighty Taco and they'll go after Pellegrino Foods, and Mighty Taco and Pellegrino Foods will have to battle it out between the two of them to figure out what percentage each of them is at fault for this. But Mighty Taco still, you know, um, if they had used a different supplier for these beans, uh, you know, people aren't probably sick with Bacillus cereus. And, and, or um, if they'd used a different transporter. I mean, there, you, you bring up a really good point about um, the transport. Maybe there's something there that we don't know. There's some temperature abuse somewhere. We just don't know where. Yep. And I would say, too, I won't reveal the name, um, but there is a a company in Pennsylvania that contacts me on a regular basis when they have cooling deviations um, because they don't want to make anybody sick with Clostridium perfringens and or Bacillus cereus. And so sometimes they have cooking deviations as well. And so I will evaluate those and I will determine whether they uh, adhere to the uh, USDA uh, FSIS Appendix B cooling guide, guidelines or Appendix A cooking guidelines. Um, also, I recently helped them with uh, some other uh, cooking uh, FDA kind of FDA regulated cook 
cooked product uh, where, where they were cooking in some in a non-standard way and they needed to prove uh, safety. And so, um, you know, there are companies out there that that are trying to do a good job. And when they screw up, they they know uh, they know what to do to try to uh, prove that, in fact, the food that they have produced is, is in fact, safe. And so, um, yeah, but obviously some something happened here. And I would be I would be really interested in learning more. I would like to know. I would like to ha- see the time temperature logs, like to see the transport logs, uh, et cetera. But but that's probably not going to happen unless unless uh, the, we get involved in the lawsuit. But um, but yeah, it, assuming there is, even is a lawsuit. But uh, but yeah, it's certainly uh, you know 140 people sick. That's uh, that's not good news. Uh, that's not. Uh, oh. uh, I think uh, I think Anthony J. Pellegrino Sr. and his mom uh, would both be kind of disappointed in that. They would. They would. But um, I just wanted to go back to something you said about the uh, matching up with the USDA FSIS um, uh, appendices. Are, now, are those total USDA uh, appendices, or are they uh, some other USDA? Because I, you know, I just want to remind you that Pellegrino <laughs> Food Products uh, Company Incorporated—they're a total USDA plant. Well, no, this is this is not the total USDA. This is only the part that makes food safe—the food uh, safety inspection service part of uh, USDA, uh, not the total part. They're probably just using something else then. Using, yeah, using different appendices. Uh, you know, you know, in in 1984, the company uh, made the decision to bring their new plan up to USDA certification standards. Yeah, certified. Yeah, with, with that certification, they could now process meat and meat products. <sighs> sigh, sigh, Don. It's okay. They got a pretty looking website. <laughs> For uh, I don't, I don't. I mean, it's pretty looking. I, I don't like the. I don't. You know, they need someone to copy edit it for them. But is that? Uh... Is that Corinthian granite that they have behind? <laughs> what is that? Yes. What's that that's, pattern? That's Corinthian granite. That's Corinthian that's, granite. that's uh, yes, exactly what that is. Good, good. Um, oh, their website, their website is made by tungsten. It, well, there you go, made straight out of tungsten. Um, ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man, too bad we already have an episode title. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah. Anyway, mighty taco. You know these uh, we. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel bad for them, but but not not so bad because uh, uh, suppliers matter, Don. Suppliers really matter, and they're all you got to trust. You, they have to trust, and they have to check, and it's uncomfortable. And all. Oops, I just hit my microphone with my hand. But you know what? In in the last week, nothing else has come out. It's like uh, uh, last thing that came out was uh, on the seventeenth or eighteenth of October, and and basically that's the end of the conversation, which is too bad. Yeah. I want to know more. I, I want. I want. I definitely want to know more. Um, so we got some other stuff. Some other. Some other barf blog type things. What do you What do you got on your on your docket? Well, you know, uh, one of the things, and I and I apologize. This I think this came through uh, listener feedback. Uh, but but somebody asked us about uh, this article in the New York Times, um, oh, yeah. making sous vide simply work for you. Yes, and. Um, so uh, this is a an article by uh, Brian X Chen, um, and Brian talks about um, uh, making sous vide simply simplify. Sorry, making sous vide simplify work for you. I got the title wrong. Um, and so I don't remember the context, but uh, the question was: Well, do we really want people making home chefs making stuff with uh, with sous vide? And I know. 
Um, you know, you've certainly worked with chefs on on this. Um, uh, the the article mentions uh, my 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 friend uh, and colleague uh, Nathan Mervold, and by friend and colleague, I mean he's not either of those. Uh, he's a he's a patent troll who dabbles in uh, fancy uh, modernist cuisine, um, and uh, he uh, I wrote a, a, a Bark blog post some time ago, um, basically um, just being irritated with him in general. And, and so Mr. Nervold's point of view is that uh, there's just too many regulations. He's a typical entrepreneur, um, serial entrepreneur, um, that there's just too many, uh, too many regulations and they're not consistent. And, and, you know, we should just let people make sous vide if they want. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't, again, I don't remember the context uh, for, for bringing this up, but, but uh, so what do you, th- what did you read this article? And, okay. And then, and what do you think about it? Um, and, and do you, and again, we had some great, uh, discussions with Merlin Mann uh, when he was on the podcast talking about uh, sous vide, and, and he's one of these uh, guys out there who's who's using sous vide in his kitchen. And it, it is a it is a great way um, to to make high quality food. But I guess uh, you know my question to you, Ben, is do you um, how, how do you feel about uh, you know articles like this one in the New York Times promoting uh, sous vide? I, I want people to do sous vide. I want people to. Um, ferment their own yogurt and um, you know make kimchi and all of I want I want people to uh, to do all make all the foods that they want to make um, and then try stuff out you know and be creative I, I, I think what's what's missing um, in in some of these discussions uh, that's that's I guess maybe not missing but glossed over I, I will highlight a quote from uh, from this article that talks about the perfect ribeye steak Set the device to heat up the water to around 129 degrees, immerse the bag steak in the water, and just like magic, you have a steak that is perfectly medium rare all the way through, not just in the center. Give it a sear to brown the crust, and it's close to something you would get at a steakhouse. And, and so they, they say glossed over. I mean, my, using, I'm using their words. Um, in that sales pitch is the part where sous vide takes at least an hour to cook the steak or up to 10 times longer than it would using conventional med- methods like a stove or a grill. Um, and and also it takes up to ten times longer to cook that steak safely, right? Like that that's the part that that isn't really discussed in any of this. And um, there uh, we we uh, we I shouldn't say we one of um, I'm, I think I mentioned this a couple episodes ago. Uh, Katrina Levine, um, you know, one of my uh, one of the associates who works in, in my program, uh, presented uh, a paper um, uh, this year at or a, a poster this year at. IAFP looking at um, cooking methods that are advertised in cookbooks or suggested in cookbooks and looking for, um, you know, specifically the types of food safety messages that are there. And there aren't a lot of food safety messages. Um, and so I, I, I really feel like the sweet spot for us in cooperative extension is taking these types of um, food creativity uh, techniques and uh, adding our here's the safety information you need to remember and and and, and maybe employ if you choose to uh, to to do this and giving people the tools to to do that and a lot I think you know a lot of it's there subtly but it's not it's not as overt as I'd want it to want it to be in the messaging not like you know going back to our conversation about um, this Shannon Madowitz. T- uh, tweets. It's not like 
let's take this, let's make these risk management decisions for people. It's like, let's give them all the information they need to make an informed choice about how they're going to do it. Yep, and I uh, I am violating my usual rule uh, and reading the comments, <laughs> and I will read to you a few of these comments. Um, my concern is this, is cooking in plastic safe? What is outgassing from the plastic when heated? Um, and that is uh, something that, that people are concerned about. Um, and I don't know if the article talks about the kind of plastic to use, whether you use an official sous vide bag, whether you just use a Ziploc bag, um, but that is something that people, some people are concerned about. I think that probably the food safety concerns are are greater. Um, uh, another another commenter writes: uh, twenty four hours to to cook sous vide, then freeze, and seventy five minutes to thaw. I would not call that the instant upgrade to any dish that uh, Mr. Crilly suggests. Mr. Crilly's <laughs> recommendation is still tone deaf to the original complaint that sous vide cooking can take forever. So anyway, yeah, it's not quick. It's uh, it's like smoking smoking food outside. It takes a while. Exactly. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I know we have a. Um, a listener uh, uh, to the podcast, uh, Corey Morris, um, I think maybe a few episodes ago, he, I mentioned he's uh, a guy who uh, told me he does some uh, uh, hillbilly sous vide in a cooler uh, outside uh, in his house, like a, like a Yeti kind of cooler with a, with a heat source. And he found, uh, found the uh, um, uh, plans, I think, on the Internet somewhere on making your own uh, immersion circulator with a, I don't know, like a... A boat propeller and uh and like uh, waterproof matches or some something I'm not, I'm not sure something like that and a yeti cooler and then you then uh 14 hours later you have the perfect prime rib okay what where's the heat come from <laughs> i don't know i okay. i don't know where the heat comes from i'm sure there's a heat source i think okay. it might be maybe you do it like you pour boiling water in it or something and i am uh, we'll have to i'll have to uh uh cir- i'll circle back with him we'll put yeah, that don't no one should be following those directions. No, no, I might have, I might have made some of that. Directions. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I like I like the sous vide idea. I'm 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 all, I'm all over it. I think people should people are going to do it. Don, let's just tell them how to do it in a way that they're not going to kill themselves. Well, it's kind of like raw milk, right? People are going to do it. Let's just give uh, let's just find some research base to advise those raw milk farmers on how to manage that risk, right? Or <laughs> exactly. or low, low sugar jams and jellies, right? It's a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about. People are going absolutely people are going to do it. Let's uh, let's let's help them uh, use science-based information to to make to do that in the best possible way. Boom. 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 I need a we got a bell. Or we both have bells. We need another. We need another I, sound. I need a boom. I need to like. I have to drop something heavy. <laughs> like a... We'll we'll link we'll we'll link to the uh, as I always do the Steve Jobs boom video. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm all over. I'm actually just responding to texts now with the uh, explosion emoji. I don't know if yes. you know what it's called. Which to me, when I put that, it obvious obviously means boom. I'm not sure everyone exactly. else knows that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, someone tells me something and I'm like, boom. Yeah. Um, oh, there's something else here I wanted to talk about. Um, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? This is, this is always fascinating. At least you're not hearing this anymore. Oh. <laughs> yes. Oh, Foodie, foodie World. You foodie know, World. You know about Foodie World? Um, Foodie World is a disgusting sounding name for a grocery store. I would never shop at a place called Foodie World. Well, it sounds gross. It sounds like Footie World. It, it does. Sounds like, it sounds does. like a shoe, a shoe store or a soccer uh, place in, in England. 
Yes. Um, uh, so uh, footies on the telly, Ben. The footies on the telly. The footies on the telly. Footies. On the telly. <laughs> I'm gonna let's do some freestyle in here. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, Footy World turns out a uh, place in Richmond, British Columbia. It's a uh, Asian market, and uh, they got some listeria issues, like uh, six listeria illnesses, and one of the uh, individuals who uh, was identified with having listeria died. And you know, never you know, we never know if it was, if the listeria was a contributing factor, but it would seem to be that. It probably didn't help uh, the situation if there were underlying issues. Um, this is um, – I'm following this story because it's kind of special. It's kind of mm. unique. Uh, I can't think of another case where uh, – you know, and I'll, let me read the, the history on this. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there are uh, first two cases – of listeriosis were reported and confirmed in late July, with another two in August and two more in October. Uh, Friday, October 14th, was when health officials uh, narrowed these six cases down to Foodie World uh, in uh, in r- the Richmond area uh, uh, on Sexsmith Road near Garden City Road and Sea, sea Island Way. Um, and uh, there's some quotes here from uh, Claudia Kurzak, who is the um, VCH, which I think is Vancouver, maybe. Uh, anyway, it's a health the, yeah, health, health commissioner, or yeah. Well, we'll we'll look that up because I, I know people in Canada are going to be pissed at. Me. Oh, Vancouver Coastal Health. Vancouver Coastal Health. Yeah, manager for environmental health programs in Richmond um, said a number of stores were being named uh, as being used by people in the first few cases. Uh, it was problematic to accurately trace the source, right? Because you've only got a couple, like maybe at this point, four cases. And people are eating different things, maybe going to lots of common uh, grocery stores. Uh, Foodie World came up, but so did many others. And we had to look at all the others as well. Uh, and then in early October, fifth case was reported. And it was only then we were able to narrow it down to Foodie World. So again, I guess the odds ratio has come up. And, and this is another like going public kind of thing. It's like share what you know when you know it. Um, on October 7th, uh, a detailed inspection of Foodie World uh, was carried out. Preliminary results took a week, and the 14th we had confirmed it to be Foodie World. I don't know what that means uh, exactly. Like, if that means they found mm-hmm. – they swabbed and they found listeria. Um, and, and so he, the other thing is that these – all six uh, of these illnesses were linked to consuming pork and beef from the store in the last few months. And why this one is notable to me is I can't think of another example – of listeria in a grocery store and an outbreak over a, a you know a small one like six individuals where these all look like sporadic cases right of listeriosis over um, a pretty long period of time and and I don't know if this is uh, you know again all the stuff that we don't know that that sometimes we hear and sometimes we don't but whether this is whole genome sequencing whether it's uh, mulva that's being used uh, to to connect these cases if it's just you know, um, you know uh, strain uh, typing you know who who knows exactly what's what, what's going on here but this is like it's different right um, I want I, I want to highlight um the end of the the article and we'll link to this uh, article from barf blog um it says the store management has brought in a professional cleaning company 
Uh, and now they're working with VCH, Vancouver Coastal Health, on the store's policies and procedures. Clearly, a lot of education is taking place. Um, there will be a lot of testing before they'll be allowed to, uh, to reopen. And, and I guess my, my question is, what, what we don't know is, so say this is pork and beef, and if it's sliced pork and beef or some sort of deli meat that's been cut, then I can totally understand cleaning and sanitizing. But maybe it's a supplier issue. Maybe it's got nothing to do with the store itself, or maybe it is a niche of, of listeria in there. But but it was, I, you know, one. It's just one of these cases that I've, I, I I'm gonna continue to follow. I think it's an interesting one, and it's not. It's notable. It's not like a lot of the stuff that we've seen, um, in the past. When we see deli meat listeria cases, um, we uh, we often are looking, or or retail listeria cases, we're often looking at, um, you know, some some supplier issues or packaged goods we know um that the deli slicers uh, can be a, a great um harbored source for for listeria and that they're not often clean and sanitized there was some great work that came out of cdc that we talked about a few episodes back on this um but uh but i wonder you know what what the what, what the source is and what you know whether we find out any more if this is just the end of it that six people got sick and one died and and there you go yeah, and it doesn't. Um, it is. It is unique, right? In that we have not previously. We we've certainly seen. Well, we certainly know there are sporadic cases associated with um, uh, uh, f- foods purchased at retail. What we haven't ever seen before is where the retail operation was the apparent source of the contamination, right? And that's I think that's what you're saying, right? That's that's the unique thing about this that that this was this was not contaminated product that Foodie World simply sold. This was contaminated food that Foodie World contaminated. Right. That's what I'm. That's what I'm reading into it. Right. Like how? Do right. We, yeah. That's, right. That's yeah. different. Um, I'll have to find. Um, this goes back a while in my Twitter feed, but um, a few months ago, I mean, back in the summer, someone who I follow on Twitter was tweeting about um, uh, a environmental source in a restaurant for salmonella, that the same salmonella that was whole genome sequenced kept popping up associated with this restaurant kitchen. And, and it was, this was like at a, you know, a emerging disease conference in the U S so it hasn't been published anywhere that I can, that I can find, but, but it, it gets us thinking about some of the stuff that, that our friends, um, who we, who we talked to a, b- a bunch and we talk about a bunch, Michelle, uh, Daniluk and Linda Harris, when they looked at the environmental source of salmonella and almond, um, orchards, you know, that, that it's not always the food and it's not always the animals, but pathogens can just persist, and salmonella um, and listeria. We you know we know um, listeria, but but in, increasingly salmonella maybe are is, is the same thing, just because it gets it's so it's so hardy. Right, and there and there are harborage points uh, that can develop. I remember uh, there was a, a lawsuit I was involved with many years ago with a fast food chain that's known for selling a lot of roast beef, um, and it was a salmonella contamination on the slicer, and they made people sick for a long, long time because they weren't cleaning their or they they weren't cleaning their slicer well. Yeah, right. They're obviously cleaning it, but but not cleaning it well, and that that slicer became a harborage point for uh, for salmonella. And so, uh, yeah, there's there's just there's a lot more that uh, there's a lot more potentially we could learn about this foodie world uh, outbreak, and and it's not uh, it's not come to light yet. 
I, it, I'm cynical. I wonder if this is as much as we'll, we'll ever learn. Right. <sighs> Sigh. Sigh, Don. Yeah. What was the? What were the products that well, they linked to? It says beef, eating beef and pork products. Okay. What does that mean? Huh. Consumer, yeah, well. It, they'd all consume processed meats, in, in particular pork and beef, from the store hmm. over the last few months. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, hey, uh, don't eat ghost peppers. Well, or don't eat too many, or yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, that does not sound like uh, that does not sound good. So, uh, what we are talking about is uh, an article uh, that was in Barf Blog, um, uh, written also by Ben. I know I've been uh, writing recently. It's good. It's good. It's um, uh, and the the headline: This is disgusting. Uh, he- a pepper leads to esophageal hole. Um, uh, and I'll read to you what, what Ben wrote. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad, your dad sounds like, anyway, we'll save uh, that for the after, after dark. Um, when I was a kid, my dad made me eat a bunch of spicy food. I'm not sure why, but if he ordered hot wings at a restaurant, the convention was that I had to try one. I'm a fan of heat now. Thanks dad. Um, but, uh, but ghost peppers, uh, writes Ben are not something I want to try. According to the Sydney morning Herald, a ghost pepper eating contest led to a, a hole. Gonna have to edit oh, that. There's a, ty- on, there's a typo. There's, there's, a, there's a typo. Some grammar issues here. Yeah, boy, there's a hole. Uh, should be H O L E, not W. It'll be fixed oh. before this is anyway, posted. Exactly. Uh, a hole in a competitor's esophagus. Uh, after eating a hamburger laced with ghost pepper puree, the man began began vomiting, uh, severe abdominal pain. The doctors discovered that he had a 2.5 centimeter hole in his esophagus, or as they say in Australia, his O esophagus. <laughs> <laughs> because they use that uh, that funny British spelling. Um, oh my God, he went under underwent emergency surgery and he spent twenty three days in the hospital. Oh my God, this poor guy. So uh, ghost peppers, man, they're dangerous. Yeah, don't. I'm I'm not eating them. I'm not eating them. Uh, I, I I do uh, I do enjoy a little spice, uh, but uh, I'm not I'm not putting a esophageal esophageal hole in my esophageal list. Esophagus. Although last night, Don, I woke up with the worst heartburn at like three uh-huh. thirty in the morning, and maybe I had eaten a ghost pepper yesterday. All I ate <laughs> yesterday was like we went to a movie and I ate a bunch of popcorn. Oh, now remember the last time that you had heartburn and you were you were Pop- thinking about popcorn? You yeah. you had uh, you had uh, an illness. Was, yeah. yeah. No, this was not. I like I would literally this time ate a bunch of popcorn, not was burping pop and tasting popcorn. Okay, I'm um, confused. I, I just I just thought popcorn and yeah. uh, H. pylori's back. It's, oh my, uh, H. pylori better not be back. That was that was nasty. That was bad. It was a bad time. Um, yeah. Well, hey, so you got uh, you, you got you got an out in a little bit. Is there uh, is there anything, do? Else, anything else you want to talk about? Well, we we got to all the stuff that I had. So no, I think that, that we can call that a show. Perfect. Well, uh, this is. Uh, another consider this another food safety talk. Oh, oh no no no! The, you know this is my favorite part of the uh, uh, of the uh, episode is when we go to um, look at the reviews uh, of our own show on yes uh, on the internet. 
Uh, and this is this is a, a uh, this is something that we do every time, and by every time I mean we hardly ever do it. Um, and uh, this is and we do I do while while Ben finds the review I do want to say that uh, thank you to to all of our our friends and colleagues and and friends from the internet that we have not met yet um, who write reviews of the podcast. It's it's a it's first of all it's really nice to read what you have to say since most of you have nice things to say. And number two, it also helps. <laughs> number two, I made a poop joke. Um, uh, helps people find the show. So if, if somebody is out there in the world and they're wanting to think to themselves, hey, I wonder how I could find a podcast on food safety. Um, the more people that that, write, that rate and like um, our podcast, the more uh, it will show up when people do search for that. So please do, um, uh, please do rate the show. Uh, we do we do very much uh, like it and appreciate it when you do. Well, yeah, and this one comes from uh, Larry Stringer who. Uh, uh, I know from the world of Twitter as well, because uh, Larry interacts with us uh, sometimes there. So he said, I highly recommend this podcast to anyone working in the food industry, but especially to food safety regulators. The guys blend pop references and humor with current food safety research and information. Best thing about the podcast is the risk analysis and risk management <laughs> decision-making process the guys share with us. Uh, instead of focusing on what the code says, Don and Ben help us focus on the risk involved and how to reduce or mitigate it. The podcast should really be titled Foodborne Illness, Risk Reduction, and Communication, but then the title <laughs> wouldn't be so doggone catchy. Um, and then uh, Larry goes on to thank us for the podcast. Uh, and so, yeah, n- a really nice uh, um, n- n- nice uh, review uh, again. So we appreciate all of those um, cool reviews. Um, and, oh, gosh, there was something else I was going to – oh, oh well, hey, this is – I'm going to end on this. Last week um, – you know, so you're too late if you're listening. But if you were following me on Twitter, and you should follow both of us on Twitter, um, you would have been, uh, and you were uh, messing around with your Twitter feed. You would have seen that I tweeted a picture of some very wrinkled uh, T-shirts that we made a few years ago that I found in my office as I was cleaning out some boxes. And four of our lucky listeners now are, if not in possession already, the the uh, T-shirts are on their way. So uh, congratulations to um, uh, Michelle Samara Tim, who uh, you and I know, uh, to um, uh, Lily Yang, uh, who we know, to Nicole Arnold, and also to Chris Stone. So uh, they're the winners of the T-shirts. I think we should make some new T-shirts. Well, you know, and I was thinking we should – one of the things that other podcasts have done is – they're not as good as us where we, like, make the T-shirts and we give them away to people. But I'm thinking that we could use one of these T-shirt, t-shirt um, websites where we basically propose a design and then people vote with their pocketbook and say, hey, I would I would like that T-shirt. And if we get up to, you know, whatever the minimum number is for a run, uh, they'll do a run and, and print and send out those T-shirts. Now, the disadvantage of that um, approach is that you have to pay for the T-shirt. T-shirts, but the advantage is it's less, probably less work for us, and um, you'll probably get them faster. And so um, we would have to design them, and we would have to set up the website. Um, so yeah, so for for all of you who were left wanting uh, T-shirts after that, um, we should uh, we should do uh, another T-shirt run, and I would say probably. 
it's something that we should do in the run-up to IAFP so that yeah. people can can proudly wear their Food Safety Talk t-shirts at IAFP. Um, so, uh, but, so we'll put that on the list of things to do. So, um, uh, but, but I think that we definitely do want to do uh, more t-shirts. I know that I have a whole collection of uh, podcast and website-related uh, t-shirts that I regularly wear. Um, and so I know that you guys would, would like to do that, too. So um, we'll, we'll work on that. We'll take that under advisement. Yeah, <laughs> we've just given our ourselves something to think about um, yes. and uh and, and I, we i mentioned this in a, a couple of podcasts ago i play on this hockey team called uh, gunga lagunga uh we have t we have uh t-shirts maybe i will uh maybe i'll make those available too kind of like <laughs> kind of like what we do what, what uh, kevin smith does with you know you, you can buy a t-shirt of his uh of the show of the of his movies but also what his characters are wearing in the movies and products that are in the movies that are made up so uh Although Gunga Lagunga is not not made up, uh, it is my real hockey team. Uh, so anyway, on I, I think on that note, we should uh, we should call this a podcast. So uh, all right, got a good good job, Don. Uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, bye bye, bye bye. sniff hardly at all <laughs> i noticed that actually i, I cut myself sniffing a couple of times that I, I quit it right away <laughs> no sniffing uh okay so this one's mine yep uh which is awesome yeah and, and i've got this uh, i've got my workflow back for collecting sweet. up all of the the urls it basically i had to write some uh, computer code, but it oh, wasn't too hard because I copied somebody else's code, and it's 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 really it's very easy, and it basically just gives us the same functionality we had that we lost when when I upgraded to uh, uh, Sierra. Sierra, I upgraded to Sierra too. <laughs> That's it. That's all I'm gonna say. I did. Um, oh my God! I am. I need a new Mac, Ben. I can't wait. October twenty seventh. I'm gonna buy whatever fifteen inch maxed out MacBook Pro they they sell that they have. I need a new computer. I mean, this one's fine, um, but, but Jesus, you need a new one. Wait, let's let's find out how old this is. So this this about this Mac uh, says that this is a mid twenty twelve Retina MacBook Pro. Mid twenty twelve, Ben. That is a many many years ago. I have a. Uh, about this Mac. How do I find that? This one just says MacBook Air. <laughs> I 
I don't even know when this one's from. No, no, it doesn't. You click on the Apple, it doesn't tell yeah, you. Yeah, no, it tells me I have this about this Mac. I click on that, and it says Mac OS Sierra, and then version, and then it just says MacBook Air. Because this is the one I'm. On. Oh, oh, but well, because they, because it's, it's the, the first it's one. The, it's, it's what they call the MacBook One uh, on on the other podcast I listen to. Uh, it's the one with one port, right? No, no, no. I have one no. of those too. No, oh. this, this is a. Uh, this is an old school air. Um, oh. I'll show you. I'll, I'm gonna text you what it looks like. Oh my gosh, my display is all messed up. Oh no. Well, well no, not really. Like the display, it's just the orientation of the display changed for some reason. Like it flipped over. So I plugged in, and then I, I'm constantly going to the left, but it's really to the right. And then when I changed it, it was in the wrong orientation. Oh yeah. So anyway, that's what it, I just showed you. What it says, it doesn't actually say much about it. Maybe it says it it's in really weird storage or displays or mm, no. Nope. Anyway, this is the first MacBook Air that I have, or no, maybe the second. Um, I'm if they come out with anything that looks like this, that is like ultra thin, that has one port, that is Retina. I already have one of those, but has a like a terabyte uh, hard drive and has a faster processor. I'm getting one. I don't want any. Your your 15 inch stuff it's too heavy for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, but but the thing is with the 15 inch you can get a faster CPU. And I since know, I run I run stuff. Windows on this and I need to run simulation software, that's my excuse. Um, and it's the only computer I have. It's just it's always with me. And I can you know when I upgraded to this 15 inch, it was actually the same weight as the old 13 inch that I had, or it weighed even slightly less. And so I was happy to make it. And so I I think I'm going to keep plugging 50 because I I just need the power, Ben. You need the all, power. For me, it's all about the power. You're you're the you're the power, Don. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, fight, fight the power, Ben. Fight fight the power. Is that fight a thing? The, fight the powers that be. Yeah. They say. Um, I'm not going to get into that. Um, so two weeks from today, guess what that is? It's a day. My after, birthday? Yeah. No. Is it really? I don't know. What's two weeks from? I didn't know. It's not. November, My birthday's coming up, though. November 7th. When's your birthday? The 9th? The 10th. 10th. I knew it was somewhere. It's somewhere around Sam. Sam's is the 6th. Oh. So I'm in Dubai. Oh, um, on the 7th. On, on the 7th. Yeah. Are you going to miss your son's birthday? Oh, my gosh. He has no... He, like he knows, I've missed his birthday the last three years. The on the actual day, oh. but he knows he knows he's my favorite. So at least, like, you're not, at least you're not feeding him hot peppers. No, I'm not feeding him hot peppers. Just as like <laughs> you're, a, you're, just rest rest assured that you're being a better father than yeah. your father. You <laughs> oh my gosh. like I it was a whole like I I wasn't I don't even know why like it just became a game that That's well funny. you're gonna eat this yeah That's funny um, so I can't do it on the seventh but I I arrive back. In the afternoon of the seventh, if all things go well, um, I could do the eighth. I could do the tenth. Um, I could do the eleventh in the afternoon, or sorry, the ninth in the afternoon. Um, let's uh, let's do it. Let's do it on the tenth. Tenth. Okay. Uh, I have what time? So I, I have like ten until three. Is a is a big window of of opportunity. Oh, uh, you want to do one o'clock again? Yes. FST. Uh, what's this one? One hundred eight. Uh, we just did one eleven. Oh my gosh, Tom! I'm, I'm three episodes behind in my mind. One twelve. We we're on a tear. One p.m. November. That's your birthday. That's my birthday, and. Not only is it my birthday, 
you know who's going to be 250 years old? Uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> no, who's going to be two? <laughs> Rutgers University oh, no turns way. 250 on November 10th. That's Same a... birthday as me. They're a little older. That's amazing. These yeah, I know. Are... It's exciting. Oh, I'm well... going to miss the party because I'm going to be home recording a podcast, but it's okay. But you'll get, you'll get cake uh, like on your own. Go yeah, get, exactly. I get my own cake. Exactly, a, like a lemon-pound cake from uh, from Starbucks with the uh, rewards, birthday reward. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I get I get a birthday reward. Yeah. Oh well, good stuff. I'm I'm lucky. I'm happy. I wonder if we did. Did we celebrate your birthday together last year too? I don't remember. I'm gonna look. Okay. You December, do that. December. Uh, no, no, we didn't. We uh, I don't know when we can't see that we recorded a podcast anywhere oh we did on the 19th okay <laughs> well there you go uh hey good stuff so i got this oh you were totally going with uh the meat spot okay like i mean there's no there's no other question unless you had something else you thought was particularly good but oh there were there was a whole lot of good ones in there but but yeah it's your it's your episode yeah. you can you can call it whatever you want the meat spot because okay. and then i used it again you said it once i used it again <laughs> The, the meat spot's amazing. Um, and okay, that's it. That's all I got for you. You go do your all right, thing. So you, yeah, I. So uh, let me know if you need my audio, but you probably won't. Be fine. And yeah. I just put I just put the show note uh, links in the thing, and I renamed the thing, and I turned on the thing, so all the things are things. Sweet. I should uh, get this done uh, tonight. I I have to go now to the gym and then i have to go uh tie some skates because jack has a hockey practice and then uh i might be able to edit the audio while he's doing his practice cool yeah uh cool awesome well i will uh talk to you in two weeks if not sooner oh no sounds good it will be sooner we have writing buddies before then yes and have a good trip to i'll talk to you but have a good trip to dubai so all right thanks all right yep Bye. bye